0: Well, as you're uh, sitting down, why don't we uh, take out our Bibles, if you have one with you. We're going to be going once again today all the way to the end of the Bible, so it's a passage that's easy to find. It's actually the second to the last chapter that you'll find in the Bible, probably one of two most powerful chapters in the Bible. The second to that is the last chapter, Revelation 21 and 22. So turn to Revelation 21, and we'll look at verses 1 to 4 today. But before we do, I'd like you to listen to this. USA Today, June fifteenth, 2011. This is from an article published just one month ago titled, Weather Records and Americans Battered by Spring. Washington, A.P. It was a spring to remember, with America pummeled by tornadoes, floods, wildfires, snowmelt, thunderstorms, and drought. Government weather researchers said Wednesday that while similar extremes have occurred throughout American history, never before have they all occurred in a single month. The last time anything remotely looked like it uh, was the spring of 1927, just before the Great Depression which also had a lot of tornadoes and flooding, said Harold Brooks of the Storm Prediction Center in Norman, Oklahoma. The tornado outbreak, floods, and droughts during April were comparable to extreme events in the past, but never so close together, agreed Deke Arndt, chief of the climate monitoring branch at the National Climactic Data Center in Asheville, North Carolina. Question. Maybe you were wondering this last April when it was all coming down. The question is this, was all that just coincidental? That never before in history have we seen such extreme weather in this country in such a brief period of time. And then, you know, you add that to the tsunami and the nuclear crisis in Japan, the financial crisis, all these storms in Phoenix. Any of you see those storms, those those apocalyptic storms that literally looked like they were consuming the city a while back? You look at all that, who knows what else is coming. you can't help but wonder, is God trying to get our attention? I've even talked to people who don't know God or even believe in him, and they're wondering, maybe there is one. It couldn't be just coincidental. And if so, what's he trying to say? What's going on here? Is it providential or by chance? Well, <laughs> that'll have to be another message. Sorry about that. Except to say this, I believe that he is, he is trying to say something specifically and that we need to pay close attention to the signs of the times, like Christ said. And we may look into it this fall or later this summer. But also today, he's also, I think, trying to say something generally. And that is this be very careful. Be very careful where you store your eggs, right? And not just looking around and seeing where the safest place in the world is and going there. No, there is no safe place. If you have all your eggs stored up in the basket of this life, sooner or later, you will end up disappointed because no place is safe. Not even in Summit County. Just wait till the big one comes and all this beetle kill goes up in smoke, right? In the end, everything's going to go up in smoke because we can't take anything with us, as we say. But if you store up your treasures in heaven, as Christ said, they will be where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal, nor tornadoes, nor floods, nor wildfire, nor snowmelt, nor thunderstorms, nor drought. So the question is this, looking at what's going on around us, what are you living for? This summer, we're seeing that heaven is a place that's worth living for. Heaven is the only place that's worth living for. And through all of these natural disasters and more, we're going to see today yet another reason why that is what's worth living for. I've titled today's message, This Road. This road is the title of the offertory song you just heard. And we're going to be honest today about what this road down here is like and the difference heaven can make. The song says, all heavy laden, acquainted with sorrow, may Christ in our marrow carry us home. Ever felt that way? all heavy-laden, acquainted with sorrow, with tornadoes, floods, wildfires, snowmelt, thunderstorms, drought, and who knows what else, both in the world out there and in your own life and on the inside. May Christ, in your marrow, through it all, carry you home. That's been my prayer this week. That through it all, deep in our hearts, Christ would carry us home to heaven today. That we'd feel this hope that uh, Solomon says is the very anchor of our soul that we feel it down to the marrow of our bones. The song says, "May Christ in our marrow carry us home from alabaster." That's shorthand for heaven, for the celestial city made of alabaster stones. From alabaster comes blessing of laughter. Have you heard the laughter recently? Have you heard the music? comes blessing of laughter, a fragrance of passion, and joy from the truth. Our subject today is this road. And the question is this, what road are you on? And where are you headed? Looking at the world around you, what are you feeling down to your marrow? Are you feeling fear or are you feeling hope? Last week, we saw that one of the main things about heaven will be a great presence, and we're talking about the eternal kingdom here, the presence of God himself, thanks to the disappearance of what to this day separates us from the God, and that is the great sea. Today, we're going to see another main thing that the other main thing heaven will be about is a great absence. A great absence of all these things. Absence of what? Well, um, yeah, in... in uh, And I'm afraid the preacher forgot his Bible. It's it's in Revelation 21. Would someone someone volunteer to give me a Bible? No, I don't have it in memory. Okay, okay, okay. It's the, the New Living. I can't read from that one. No, New Living is a pretty good translation. Okay, Revelation 21, 1-4. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. That was last week. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, like a beautiful bride prepared for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, the home of God is now among his people and he will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will remove all their sorrows and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain for the old world and its evils have gone forever. The old world and all of its evils have gone forever. You've got a jewel in your crown. Thank you. Have you ever asked the question, looking at the Christian life, and I want to talk to Christians first today. Have you ever asked the question, when you became a Christian, was I sold kind of a bill of goods? Most people I talk to have gone through that one time or another, like it was supposed to take away all my problems and now look at me. Ever asked what's wrong with me or what's wrong with Christianity? Christianity. Some Christians in Joplin, Missouri were asking that question. Remember what happened in Joplin, Missouri just recently? New York Times, Monday, May 23rd, 2011. Tornado toll rises to near 100 dead. Missouri City is left in ruins. Hospital is abandoned, along with many churches destroyed. What's going on here? We're going to see today that what changes when you become a Christian, is not the road itself, nearly as much as where that road now leads through it all. And that makes all the difference in the world. It's like Viktor Frankl said about his life in a Nazi concentration camp. Listen to this. It is a peculiarity of man that he can only live by looking to the future. Those fared the worst in the concentration camp who lost the ability to look toward the future. These people curl up in a corner and die. Maybe that's what you're feeling like right now. Any attempt to restore their inner strength in the camp had first to succeed in showing them some future hope. And then he concludes, he who has a why to live for can can bear almost any how he who has a why to live for can bear almost any how. Maybe you need your strength restored today. Well, you've come to the right place because you see, it's not the tornadoes, you know, that change once you become a Christian or the floods or the wildfire or the snowmelt or the thunderstorms or the droughts, but what they're all doing for you and where it's all taking you to. Because the Bible says, We're all going, those who know Christ, to a place where he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Revelation 21, 4. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the first things have passed away. That day is coming. And it's not the how that changes when you become a Christian. No, it's the why. There's some incredible honesty that shot through this powerful little verse, through the whole Bible, really, as we're going to see today. This verse in the Greek is written in a very poetic way. It's what they call a chiasm, where the main point is in the middle of the verse, and the first half builds up to it, and then you get the main point, and then the second half reinforces the main point on both sides. Listen, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's the first half. And what's in the middle? Next phrase, and death shall be no more. And then we see the same thing that he began with. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. This famous verse is one of the most powerful in all the Bible. It's an eloquent verse. It's one of the most eloquent, the most poetic. And it pivots in the middle on the reality of death. Not just for people in general, but for Christians too. He's talking about true believers here, Christ followers, those who are God's people. Like it says in verse 3, and it teaches that before God's people get to heaven, they're going to go through something like hell on earth. It teaches that there will be many tears that God's going to have to wipe away, right? He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. It teaches that it will there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain, And, and if there will be no longer those things, if that's the first thing that comes to John's mind when he looks at heaven, then mourning and crying and pain and tears are in his mind anyway a very real part of the Christian life. You find this all through the Bible. A very real part of the Christian life of this road. The narrow way, as Christ himself called it. For the gate is straight, he said, and the way is narrow that leads to life. So if you're experiencing heaven on earth right now, if your cup is full, you're not going to look forward much to heaven itself. If you've confused the hope of the gospel with the American dream, That you'll become wealthy and healthy and happy if you become a Christian, which is being taught in many churches today. If you've confused the hope of the gospel with the American dream, which is now becoming a nightmare, for some anyway, you'll end up sorely disappointed. And you'll be thinking, what's wrong with God? What's wrong with Christianity? What did I buy into? I've been sold a bill of goods. But if you're honest about life under the sun, even for the Christian, heaven will be more and more your passion. In fact, it'll be the secret of a life well lived. We need to be more honest if we're ever going to start storing our eggs in the right basket. So bear with me a bit. We need to hear the bad news first before we'll really appreciate the, the good, the mourning and the crying and the pain. Death comes in many and varied forms. The Bible teaches that it's in the creation itself, that the whole creation, it says, is subjected to corruption, to futility, to death, from the macro to the micro. Solomon said, all things are wearisome. This is Ecclesiastes. He was an honest man. He was the king of Israel, wisest man who ever lived next to Christ. And in the book of Ecclesiastes, he took something out of the closet and he looked at it very carefully and very courageously. He said, The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around the wind goes. All streams run into the sea, but the sea is not full. All things are wearisome. Man cannot understand it. This is life without a why. Ever felt that way? You know, a while back, I was brushing my teeth. And I thought how many times have I done this before? So I did a quick calculation. You know, 365 times a year. Well, maybe 350. Okay, 300. Multiplied by, say, you know, I started at six years of age. That'd be uh, by 49 times 300, 300, 350. That's 17,150. But at some point, I started doing it twice a day as I started to get older. And so that's, say, 30,000 times. And how many more times do I have left? And you multiply that by everything else that you do, and you put a period after it, and that's what life is like without a why. The difference Christianity makes is that now there's a comma after it, not a period after all that you do. But without that comma, it's all so pointless, Solomon was saying, because you're not going to take any of it with you. And so in the eternal scheme of things, no matter how important or popular or successful or healthy or wealthy you are, beneath the sun, you're not going anywhere. That's what he's saying. You're just running around in circles. And the Bible teaches that not only is life so Senseless in that way, it's also very perturbed. The Apostle Paul said, Oh wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? There it is again. Romans seven twenty four. He's talking about the death that lives inside of him. He looked at the outside and he said, it all seems so pointless. And to be honest, sometimes I feel pointless. And then he looks on the inside, and he says it's all so perturbed. Like the Apostle Paul said, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? He's talking about the death that lives inside of him, his sinful self. He says, For the good that I wish to do, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not wish. This is the Apostle Paul, none other. Ever felt that way? Ever felt like in some areas of your life you'll just never change? I sure do. If you're not a Christian, you need to know that fundamentally we're not any better than you, that we struggle too. We have resources at our disposal that make a world of difference, but we deeply struggle too. And if death on the inside weren't enough, there's the perturbations, the death on the outside. It seems that the circumstances of our lives can so easily turn against us, and it becomes all perturbed. Again, the Apostle Paul was very honest. He said, I've been on frequent journeys. Maybe you can relate to this. In dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea. I've been in labor and hardship. Maybe that's your life right now. Through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. If life is turned against you, you need to know that you're not the only one. In fact, you're in pretty good company. And it gets pretty disturbed, pretty perturbed in the natural world, too. Adam said that, or Paul said that when Adam brought sin into the world, the whole creation was subjected to futility. Paul says in Romans 8 that the whole creation groans now. And boy, does it, what with earthquakes and floods, droughts, hurricanes, tornadoes, blizzards, and it's been grown in this year. Mother Nature literally throws temper tantrums. Why else would it say that Christ rebuked the wind and the waves if it weren't a tantrum? These are tantrums that God in his sovereignty can turn into his disciplines on a nation. If we throw tantrums at him, he'll let Mother Nature throw tantrums at us to bring us to our senses. And to this day, not only Mother Nature, but we have perturbed animals. Animals with a predatory instinct who throw tantrums, like happened to that guy in Yellowstone this week, if you read about him. The lion does not lie down with the lamb, which according to Scripture is supposed to be the norm, and it's going to happen in heaven. And if that weren't enough, there's the pestilence, the viruses, the fire ants. How many of you are from Houston? Anyone? Fire ants, mosquitoes, cockroaches. God bless them, but I hate them. If ever there was an incarnation of evil, it's got to be the cockroach, right? It goes really deep with me. I was born in Taiwan, and we had cockroaches all over the place, and there's a primal fear that comes out of me. I hate them with the utmost hatred, like the psalmist said. They've become my enemies, and so I hope God was proud of us for spending 12 years in Houston, Texas. That is a call. Wonderful people, though. The Bible teaches that good creatures became bad. Beautiful creatures became ugly, like this splendid serpent that seduced Eve and that now crawls on its belly as a snake. All this is also part of the futility. But it's not only pointless. Pointless. It's not only perturbed, but third and finally, it's all perishing. The creation is enslaved, Paul said, to corruption in Romans 8, which means death and decay. The entire creation. And so it's not only pointless, perturbed, but perishing. And our lives can seem so pointless, so perturbed. And on top of that, we're perishing. Some of you know how growing old creeps up on you. It's like John Updike said, days Pale slices between nights, they blend. Not exactly alike, transparencies so faintly tinted that only when stacked all together do they darken to a fatal shade. And all of a sudden you realize that truth. You're darkening big time to a fatal shade. God only knows what many of our senior saints are going through. We tell them they're supposed to be experiencing the golden years. Sometimes they do, but it's not consistent. And it never ends up that way because they're also the groaning years. Yeah, golden's about right if you take away the G. What do you get when you take away, yeah, golden years? Like one man told me, Brian, it gets to the place where if it doesn't hurt, it doesn't work. You know, it's almost unfair. More and more you grow older and more and more. When you're weakest and least able to endure it, you lose the most and you get hit the hardest. Which is why Solomon said, remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Ecclesiastes twelve one. Before the evil days come. He's talking about the golden years here. Before the evil days come and the years draw near, when you will say, I have no delight in them. I've read that verse in hospices, uh, to to the elderly who were dying at home or in a hospital. And when I read that verse, especially if they're believers, tears come to their eyes. It's like, yeah, I take no delight in this. At least God understands. I'm not unspiritual for feeling that way. So take heart if you're of a hard time aging with grace. You're in good company, Solomon himself. Took no delight in it. It's why one woman said this. She was a godly woman. Her husband was was dying of Alzheimer's. She said, the youth talk about how courageous they are. She said, courage was easy enough in the years when so little of it was required. We're perishing. All we are is dust in the wind. Any of you remember that song? Way back from the 70s by the band Kansas on their album Point of No Return. All we do crumbles to the ground. This is Solomon in Ecclesiastes. Though we refuse to see, we put it out of our minds and live like there's no tomorrow because it's too hard to think about it. Don't hang on. Nothing lasts forever but the earth and the sky. Everything is dust in the wind. You know, that band, some of you might know, later converted to Christ. Why? Because they understood about final things, about the things we're talking about today. They converted because of our hope, because the Bible says that a day is coming when the first things will pass away, when the former things shall not be remembered, nor will they even come to mind, when he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. The Bible says that the last enemy that will be abolished is death that death and Hades will be thrown into the lake of fire when all our days are no longer going to be darkened to a fatal shade so pointless so perturbed so perishing no there's a comma after life and there can be a comma after your life too The Bible says that if you don't know Christ the heart of our hope the hope of glory you've got a really you've got a lot of really heavy hows without any why. But with Christ, who went from death to life, when He died for our sins and He was risen again, and who did that so He could do the same for us, that through it all, because of it all, He could take us through our death to life, to be with Him forever. This is why. This is why, Paul says, we can be right now As sorrowful, yes, we're going to be honest about it, but also always rejoicing. As poor, yet making rich. As having nothing, it's all going to be taken away, but possessing all things. As dying, yet behold, we live. Why? For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O grave, where is your sting? And then he ends it, therefore, the next verse, my beloved brethren, how does that impact our lives? Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, right in the here and now, because you know there's a comma. You know that in the Lord, he says, our labor is not in vain. In the Lord Jesus Christ, You've got a why that's worth living for. And you've got a why that's worth dying for. What difference does being a Christian make? Why even become one if you don't get heaven on earth? Let me close with three illustrations. Johnny Erickson Tata, some of you know of her, is a quadriplegic and a Christian. She was a Christian when she dove into a swimming pool, the shallow end, back when she was in high school and broke her neck. You mean God's not going to keep that from happening to me if I become a Christian? Nope. No, He won't. But He has given her a powerful ministry among the physically challenged over the last four decades. Such life comes out of her death. It is unreal. He's not healed her. And the pain still gets really, really bad. But here's the bottom line difference her faith makes. She says, I ask less of this life now because I know full well that more is coming in the next There's a comma, not a period. The art of living with suffering is just the art of readjusting our expectations, she says, in the here and now. Have you done that? She has a why to live for. And so she can bear any how. What difference does being a Christian make? James Gordon Gilkey was a Christian leader in Portland, Oregon. He was told by a physician that he had uh, fallen victim to an incurable disease. He didn't have long to live. There was no possible way that death could be averted or even long delayed. Did being a Christian exempt him from an incurable disease? No. But did that matter? Here's what he did when he heard the news. Here's his own account of the hours that followed. Here's the difference that the Christian faith makes. He said, I walked out of my home, which was five miles from the center of the city. There I looked at the river and the mountain that I loved. And then as the twilight deepened, I looked at the stars glimmering in the sky. I said to them... I may not see you many times more, but river, I shall be alive when you have ceased running into the sea. Mountain, I shall be alive when you have sunk down into the plain. Stars, I shall be alive when you have fallen from the sky. What difference does being a Christian make? This is titled A Piece of Cake. Apparently a little boy is telling his grandma how everything's gone wrong that day. At school, at home, with friends, etc., etc., Maybe that's what you're feeling like right now. Well, Grandma's baking a cake, and she asks him if he wants a snack, which, of course, he does. So she says, here, have some cooking oil. Yuck, Grandma. Well, then, how about some raw eggs? Grandma, gross. Okay, well, maybe some flour or baking soda. Grandma, those are yucky. To which grandma replies, yes, they seem bad all by themselves, don't they? But when they're put together in the right way, they make a wonderful, delicious cake. And she went on to explain how God works in the same way. She said, many times we wonder why he would let us go through such hard things, don't we? I do too, she said. But God works them together for good. We just have to trust him and eventually he'll make something wonderful out of them all. And then at the very end of the story, it says, hope your day is a piece of cake. And this sermon will end with it too. I hope your life is a piece of cake. And it will be. It can be. If you know the one who can put it all together from death to life, just like he went for our sakes, who can put it all together in the right way, forever and ever. Amen. Jesus Christ, who died for your sins, So if you confess your sins and believe in him, you'll be with him at the end of the road. Where for you then, too, there will be a comma and not a period. If you're a Christian, you've got a cake waiting for you there. And you've got a whole lot more. Because there is a why for everything now. For the mourning, the crying, the pain, for every last here. And that's what this road is all about. Eric, if you all would come forward. Yeah, it's a way that is straight and narrow, like the song says. This road, this road goes through tornadoes, floods, wildfires, snowmelt, thunderstorms, and drought. But it's now through pain to gain, through guts to glory, through death to life, all who know the risen Christ. Because more than anything else, above and around and through it all, Christianity is a road that leads somewhere, through the how to the why. Just like we sing, all heavy laden, acquainted with sorrow, may Christ in our marrow carry us home. Thank you. the uh-huh. uh-huh. of all this, you can go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering and share this gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen and amen. Thanks for coming.